Good morning again. We had a week off. We're in the book of Ephesians and uh, chapter 2. And uh, last time we did verses 1 through 7. And uh, today we're going to do this uh, classic passage which speaks so clearly to uh, the gift of faith that God gives because of his great love to his people. Uh, So we're going to be in chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. It's a short little area, but it's incredibly dense with a lot of uh, beautiful statements in here. So you'll, you'll see that in a minute. Let's just jump right in and read God's holy and infallible words, starting in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Father God, may we understand the depths of grace that is given for us in the gospel today. Would you really make us to understand this? And, and may we rest in that and, 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 not, and yet not become complacent. Give us a, a better, more godly view of, of what it means that you have prepared good works for us to do. God, we, we learn to serve and, and to love you and our, our neighbors with joy. May we do so. And, and not merely as, as some saddened sense of duty. Lord, open the eyes of our hearts this morning to to receive what we hear in your word, uh, and may it change us, as only you and and your word can do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the great need of humanity, the great need of every man, every woman, uh, every child, is to obtain salvation. Not everyone will agree to that, even from the start, you know, and, and some have responded by, by simply denying the very existence of their creator, and, and by doing so, they have denied any, any sense of judgment or expectation. Uh, for most, uh, on this planet, the, the hope of salvation is found on some cosmic balance between our, our, our good deeds and our bad deeds, and how is that going to, to, to measure out? The truth is, in, in both instances, there can be found no rest and no salvation. Our passage today, though, is the true gospel of Jesus Christ in a nutshell. If you look at your text right from the start, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. If you remember, we talked about it a few weeks ago, if you remember that grace is the unmerited favor of God, the unmerited love of God for us. And so it is God saving us, even though we do not deserve it. God saving us from himself. And that's a weird thing to think about, but that's because God is holy and God is just, and so he must punish sin. Faith, on the other hand, is belief in what cannot be seen. In any regard, it is the belief in things that cannot be seen. In the, in the gospel, then, faith is believing and trusting that Jesus Christ is our Savior. That his death on the cross has paid for our sin. And we are justified, meaning we are counted as sinless. Uh, We are counted as righteous because of Jesus. Because of the faith in Jesus alone. 
And so in the gospel then, uh, the gospel then is belief that our sin is forgiven by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, and it is confirmed as Christ was resurrected from the dead, and we look forward to the same hope. And here's the deal with trusting. It's a, it's a very, very real thing. After my, my freshman year in college, I uh, agreed to go work at this, this summer camp in East Texas called Sky Ranch. Uh, it still exists today. Uh, and my responsibility that first year was uh, the high ropes course. And I'm never going to forget that uh, the first day of training, they took us out to this, this uh, area in the high ropes course, uh, and they put one of those incredibly uncomfortable harnesses on, and they tie you onto the rope, and then they send, send you up this, this, uh, this pole. I was the first one to do it. It's something called the pamper pole. Uh, it's like a telephone pole about 30 feet tall. And the idea was I climb up this. Um, on a ladder and you stand on the very top. There's no boundaries or anything. You're just on the top of this pole. And, and then the rope was loosened and, and out about, I don't know, three, four feet in front of you is this trapeze bar. And you're supposed to jump to this trapeze bar. Um, and, and they said, okay, you just have to trust the rope will catch you. And I shouted down, you just have to be completely crazy. Why do you want to kill me? You know, something like that. It, uh, it was a uh, <clears throat> nothing I was real quick to jump into. If you know me very well, you know that I really struggle to trust things. I, I don't trust planes to stay in the sky when I'm on them. Uh, I don't trust roller coasters to coast, whatever they do. Uh, and I don't catch or trust ropes to actually catch me in these kind of situations, but, but I eventually jumped. And to be honest, it wasn't because I was trusting the rope. It was, it was trusting my, my college ability that I can get a hold of that trapeze bar. And I did. I absolutely got a hold of it. Only now at this point, my mind at this point wasn't real quick, right? Because here I am dangling 30 feet in the air with this realization of the only way down is to trust that rope. Um, there's no other way off this bar. And eventually they talked me into it, and uh, I did trust the rope. Uh, eventually I took that big breath, your body tenses up, and you're just ready to let go, and you let go. And, and of course... Uh, just like everyone else there was telling me, the rope did indeed uh, catch me, and I was safely lowered to the ground, you know. I, I, it didn't totally change my ability to trust things in this world, and yet, um, in a little way, I got to see that. Uh, see, the call of, of the gospel to us, though, is, is to believe, to have faith, to, to trust that your sins are forgiven, that the sacrifice of Jesus wasn't just some general thing, but a sacrifice for, for you, and now, in, you know, in case uh, we read this and we think, okay, it's faith, but, uh, you know, faith is something that we ourselves must conjure up, that we produce this, right? Uh, and, and just in case we think that, Paul continues on in the second half of verse 8. You can see there, uh, right as it begins, the section that begins with the word and, right? There's something he's going to add here. Paul wants to make sure that we really understand this. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. See, he begins... He begins by telling us that what, it didn't, what did not result in our salvation, what we didn't do, right? It, it was not your own doing. You didn't do it. It was not a result of works. Your works didn't accomplish this. And, and we read this, and I think on some level, many of us really hate the idea that, that it's not by works, right? We know, we know the right answer here, but we don't like the idea because we've embraced this, this culture of uh, justification by busyness. Um, you know, that, that we kind of want to shout, I, I can do more. I can figure this out. You know, I, I will do this. Yeah. And, and you kind of just want to respond, yeah, but, but don't. Because that's not what you need. That's, that's not the gospel. That won't result in what you think it will result in. 
And so then if you, if you have faith, it, it, it's because you have received it from the hand of God. It's a, a gift from God. Uh, it's the gift of God. And, and here's the thing. We are to add nothing to the gospel. And we really struggle as humanity to do this. Because whenever we try to add anything to the gospel, anything at all, it, it ceases to truly be the gospel in its pure form. Uh, when I was a, a child, we... As you know by now, we've had all kinds of weird animals, but at one point we had a, a, a raccoon. He wasn't really a pet. You couldn't play with him, but he was in a cage, uh, and we had this raccoon, and my brothers and I, they, one of them came back with these boxes. They used to make sugar in cubes. I don't know if you've ever seen this. Um, and, and they handed him this sugar cube because someone said they liked sugar, and um, the raccoon held the sugar cube in its paw, and for whatever reason, he decided he needed to wash his sugar cube. And so he'd go to the water, and, and he'd begin to wash his sugar cube. What do you think happened? It dissolved. Suddenly, the, the sugar cube was, was gone. Uh, and we gave him another one. And he did the same thing with the second one. Raccoons do not learn very quick. Um, and he'd do it over and over again. And we laughed our heads off at first. But, but then it became kind of sad watching this raccoon because he was working so hard and he was so frustrated and exhausted because of the thing he was doing was not actually accomplishing what he wanted it to do. See, the, the same is true for each of us. When, when we add anything to the gospel, we find ourselves endlessly frustrated and we make the pure gospel something less than the grace that God intends it to be. And so let us be careful that we're not believing things like, like it's faith in Jesus plus, plus reading your Bible so many times a day or a week. And we're not saying things like it's faith in Jesus plus feeding the homeless or faith in Jesus plus good church attendance, you know, because that's not the gospel. They're all wonderful, wonderful things, but they are not the gospel. And the gift of salvation, you see, comes to us as an unmerited grace through the gift of faith, period. End of sentence. And so we don't just read this in Ephesians either, Right. If this was the only place in Scripture we saw it, that would be enough to teach it. But, but there is this tidal wave of evidence throughout the Scriptures uh, that point to the exact same thing. And if you want to grab a pen and write these down and look them up later, you can. I'm going to go through them pretty quick. Um, 2 Timothy 1, 8 and 9 tells us that the gospel is the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus. <laughs> Romans 3, 28 says, For we hold... That, just, that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Galatians 2.16 we read, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. In Titus 3.5 we're told that God saved us not because of works done by, uh, done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. And it has to be this way. It has to be this way because if you remember when we began this, this second chapter of Ephesians, we were learning that we are, we are dead in our sins and dead people don't contribute much to any sort of workforce. And so if we don't contribute works, what do we contribute to our salvation? Um, let me explain it like this. Uh, Harry Ironside, you've probably never heard of him. He was a pastor 80-something years ago. Uh, he once shared a story about an older Christian who was asked to, at a church <clears throat> gathering to give his testimony, to, to speak of what God's done for him. And, and so he told about how, how God had sought him out and, and how God had found him and how God had loved him and how God had called him and saved him and delivered him and cleansed him and, and healed him. And he says all this stuff. And it was this, this great statement about the grace and the power and the glory of God for him. 
But then after the, the meeting, there was a, a legalistic Christian that pulled him aside and, and um, really kind of criticized his testimony, saying, I, I appreciated all that you said about what, what God did for you. You know, praise God for that. But you didn't mention anything about your part in salvation because really it's, it's part God and, and part us. And you really should have mentioned something about your part too for people to hear. And the older Christian said, uh, you're right. Oh, yes. Uh, I apologize for that. I really should have said something about my part. Uh, my part was, was running away from God, uh, and his part was running after me until he caught me. Uh, that was the end of that conversation. Um, so you ask yourself, you know, why, why is it not a result of works? I mean, other than what we've already seen, you know, that we're incapable of actually accomplishing anything with our works, uh, nothing warranting salvation anyway. But, but there's another reason, in case that's, you know, not full enough explanation as, as well. At verse 8, we see, uh, so that, that's the reason, so that no one may boast. Do you know what boasting is? Uh, boasting is this, uh, when we speak with, with our pride, uh, some self-satisfaction of what you have actually accomplished, um, you know, kids, after they tie their shoes, there's that moment of boasting, look, I did it all by myself, that sort of thing. Uh, and, and so it's not by works, and, and one of the reasons is so that we can, we can actually live out what we read about in 1 Corinthians 1.31, which instructs us when it says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And the point being, you're not boasting in anything you did because you did nothing, instead you're to boast in the Lord. Uh, Brian Chappell uh, puts it this way. He said, God alone is to be praised for our salvation because our salvation comes to us without any human cause at all. All right, so that kind of ends the first part, those first two verses. And, and the truth is, our, our passage could end right there, right? That could be the end of it, and we could all leave and, and go home with a good understanding of grace, and, and yet it doesn't end there. Uh, I, I taught at a a Bible class in a, a Christian school, and in uh, one of the early years, I, I mean, really all the years, I can remember there were days when, when we have these, these subjects, and, and, and sometimes it was these amazing subjects about who God is and what he's done for us, uh, and it would excite me coming in. I'd become, you know, come in really motivated with this, and, uh, and then someone's hand would go up, and I'd look out, and I'd, and I'd you know, see this, this girl's hand, and I'd think, yes, she's, she's finally not going to be apathetic about this. This is fantastic. Uh, and then her question would be something like, is this going to be on the test? Um, and if you were in my class, I'm not talking about either of you, uh, any of you. Uh, but you know, is this going to be on the test? And that moment just absolutely deflated as a teacher. Oh, why do you care? No, you, know, uh, you know, that's kind of the thing here. You know, now verse 10 is, is one of those things that we're going to get wrong if we read this. And the only question we're asking is, is this going to be on the test? I hear you saying it, God, do we need to know this? Is this, do I have to do this? That is, you know, actually the wrong question in this moment. Um, we've just come through all this talk about, about it's grace, it's grace, it's grace, it's, it's not works. And then in verse 10, we, we read this, for, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And, and so it's strange there, right? You know, why mention good works? And it, it seems odd at first, but it's not strange because Paul is, is no longer talking about the cause of salvation. We've got to understand that when we read that, he's, he's talking about the effect of salvation on our lives. 
And that is crucial if you're going to understand what, what this means because redemption actually changes us, right? It's, it's, it's like God is saying, listen, I have created this orange tree and it is growing up and it is, it's, it's going to be this beautiful tree and, and now we should joyfully expect to see oranges growing on these, these living branches. That's the expectation because of what has happened here. You ever, you ever wondered any, anything in your life, any point in your life, you know, that, that the moment that you really believed the gospel, why didn't you just poof, disappear, right? Why, why am I still here? I have, I have just completed what is the most important thing in the world. Shouldn't I just go and be with God now? Uh, you, you can almost imagine it, you know, you're, uh, you're missing from work the next day after this. And, and, and someone asks, you know, hey, where's Charles today? And, and, you know, someone else is like, he's gone, man. You know, he became a Christian, just poof, gone. Well, who's going to do his work? You know, you kind of wish that was the case sometimes, right? Um, so why do we keep living in this fallen world? And the reason is, is, is that the gospel changes everything. It changes the way we live. It changes everything. You know, uh, Luther often was quoted as saying, justification is by faith alone, but not by faith that is alone. You see, there's, there's nothing greater than, than being redeemed. Nothing greater than, than believing the gospel and finding the rest in that. But, but there is more to your Christian life than just being redeemed. That's not to make little of it. It's just to understand it doesn't end there. Because God has not simply redeemed us from something. God has redeemed us to something. And that's what this passage is getting at. You know, in verse, verse 10 here in the second chapter of Ephesians, it is teaching us exactly what it is God has redeemed us to. Um, and you've got to be honest. If you've studied the New Testament at all, you know that, that nobody more than the Apostle Paul, the author of this book, saw the futility of good works to save us. And at the same time, nobody more than Paul insists more steadily that, or steadfastly than, that good works will be a fruit of genuine saving faith. So let's, let's dig into this passage a little bit. Let's consider it. Uh, we are referred to from the start as God's workmanship. Workmanship, this is from the, a Greek word, poema. I, you might notice that that sounds familiar. It's like our English word poem. It's exactly where that word comes from. It is literally a word that means that uh, something that has been made, often in the sense of, of art. It could mean a statue. It could mean a painting. It, and in this case, it is referring to us as, as God's people uh, that we have been made. And, and yet Paul is, is not really you know, thinking about us as created humans, as amazing as, as we are. You, know, you can sit all day and just kind of be amazed at the fact that your hands will move when you kind of think move. Um, the, the actual creation of the human body and the world around us is amazing, but that's not what this is talking about. When, when it's talking here about, the redemption, or, um, about us being the workmanship of God, he's talking about us as, as Christians. He is, uh, he's talking about God making us new creations. See, we were, we were dead in our sin, and, and now God has made us alive in Christ. And so in that sense, it, it should encourage us to realize that we are works of God's art, or works of art made by God, rather. Not just, not just in the image of God, um, you know, as we see in Genesis, but, but as our text here says, created in Christ Jesus. And in this sense, it's not just that we're born, but that we have been born again. Uh, and the reason is given for God giving us this, this new life. Do you see that in the text? It says, for good works. Christian, do you have a, a, a place in your understanding of, of Christianity, 
for good works? Does it, does it sound strange to you when, when we read in Titus 2.14 that Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all unlawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works? Does that, can you make sense out of that? I mean, can you understand the, the distinction between this false idea that says, I must do good works so that God will love me. And this right understanding that says, I am freed to do good works to glorify my Savior. What's interesting is that it, it says here that God prepared them these good works beforehand. Um, now, don't hear this, and I, I think we're prone to do this. Don't hear this and think of it like, like there's this list of chores that you know God has left out on the counter for you, and now you have to do them. Uh, before you're allowed to rest. That's not the case. Think of it as, as something else prepared beforehand, something like a, a meal that God has prepared beforehand, and, and now it's for you to feast on. You know, the, the meal is ready. Come eat. Um, you know, have you, have you ever asked yourself, even during the day, you know, just a question along the lines of, uh, you know, what can I do today that would bring glory to my, my Heavenly Father? Not, not what can I do to earn God's favor right now. Not what can I do that will make God love me more. But what can I do that will bring glory to his name. And our passage uses this, this word picture of walking. It's a picture we're becoming familiar with. It's, uh, you know, in the first two verses of this chapter we read. And, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And now there's this, this contrast here as, as we learn that God has prepared good works so that we should walk in them. There is this walking one way and suddenly after God has redeemed us, a walking a different way. See, before God saved us, we were walking in sin. And after God saves us, we are encouraged to walk in good works. And if we're honest, I, I think the desire for good works in our lives is lacking from Christian conviction today. It, it just is. And, and in fact, my, my own story of, of coming to faith uh, left me for many years paranoid to do good works. Um, you know, as if maybe that was the, the unforgivable sin, right? Uh, you know, was, was to do some good work and believing that maybe it contributed to my salvation. And so really, you know, I, I realized the best way to make sure that never happened was to simply not do any good works. Uh, Sounds crazy, right? Um, the problem with that is that we are called to take God's word very serious. And I was taking verses 8 and 9 here very serious, but I was brushing aside verse 10 as if that was an optional thing. Uh, you know, that's not part of the Christian life. That's just if you, if you want to. Uh, that's the extra reading assignment your teacher gave you, right? No one actually does that. Uh, in the second chapter of the, the Gospel of Mark, though, there is this beautiful picture of how the salvation leads to, to actual walking. In this case, it's a very real physical sense. There's a, a group of friends that have this paralyzed friend, and, and they, they believe that Jesus can heal them. And so they bring them to Jesus, and when they can't get to Jesus because of the crowd, they go up on the roof, and they tear the roof apart, and they lower him down to Jesus. And Jesus, right as he comes out, but right before Jesus, he says, My son, your sins are forgiven. And the Jewish leaders are present there and, and they believe that Jesus is blaspheming, right? That what he is saying is wrong because only God can actually forgive sins. And, and so to, to demonstrate that he has really forgiven this man's sin, Jesus asked them this question uh, in verse 9 of Mark. He says, um, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or to say rise 
take up your bed and, and walk. It's the same Greek word for, for walk that we have in our passage today. And, and so Jesus forgives the man's sin. And Jesus heals the man's body. And the evidence to those watching is that the man actually gets up and walks. It would have been absolutely ridiculous if, if Jesus had told him later on, you know, get up, pick up your bed, and, and go. And, and he'd said, do I have to? Do I really have to, I have to walk? Can't I just continue to be paralyzed like this? I mean, think about that, man. Can you, just the truth is, you can imagine what a joy it was for that healed man to stand up and, and to walk home in this newness of life that day. It's not that he had to walk, it was that he could walk, he gets to walk. And that's the point here, you see, we are redeemed and, and that empowers us to walk in the newness of life, to pursue good works that God has prepared beforehand for us. And we're not going to earn God's love, but, but our lives can be pleasing to him, as Colossians 1.10 encourages us, it's saying uh, that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. This doesn't mean our, our works will be perfect, but it means in God's eyes they, they'll be pleasing to him. Um, chapter 16, the, the Westminster Confession of Faith, that's our doctrinal statement, uh, it summarizes this well. It says, These good works, done in obedience to God's commandments, are the fruits and evidences of a true and lively faith. And by them, believers manifest their thankfulness, strengthen their insur- assurance, edify their brethren, Adorn the profession of the gospel, stop the mouths of, of the adversaries, and glorify God, whose workmanship they are, created in Christ Jesus. The, the Belgic con- Confession, uh, Article 24, says it a, a bit more emphatically. Uh, it says, It is impossible for this holy faith to be unfruitful in the human being. And that doesn't mean your, your life will be as fruitful as maybe you, you hope it will be. But there will be fruit of the Spirit if the Spirit of God is uh, dwelling within someone. And when God sees the the grace of the gospel overflow as as good works in our lives, it it pleases Him. Again, this this does not mean that we earn God's favor or more of God's favor. It only means that He is pleased to see the gospel at work in our lives. So I guess the question is, so what is good work, right? Right? These things are so important. What, what is it? You know, it's, it's anything that's, that's done in obedience to God from his word. It's anything that's done in love for God and love for others. You know, when we, when we worship God, when we gather in here and we worship according to the way that he has called us to worship him, that's a good work. You know, when we care for the physical and the emotional needs of another human being, that's a good work. When we, when we speak the truth and the love, God is pleased with that good work. See, the application of this is incredibly wide. Incredibly wide. You know, children, when you, when you obey your parents, that's a, a good work of God in your life. Feeding the homeless or even feeding those in your home is a good work. You know, when we, when we don't cheat on exams in, in school, when we follow God's word and, and what it means and how we are to pursue relationships with the opposite gender, when husbands love their wives and wives respect their husbands, you know, these are uh, all these things. The little ways that we show hospitality. You know, even visiting a, a new church can be incredibly scary, but it is less so when, when there are people there that will take the initiative to speak to you. When there are people there that will show that they have an interest in you. 
I think as a church we do that well, and I encourage you to continue to do so. And it's not just visitors either, but do, do you realize, you ever had a rough week and someone just asks you, like, genuinely, not, you know, how's your week going? How can I pray for you? How are things with you? When, when you care enough to ask someone about them. God works in our vocations as well. Your vocation can be done in a way that is honoring to God. And, um, and that doesn't mean that we please God when we're incredibly successful at whatever our vocation is, but that we, we please Him when we, when we work hard, uh, when, we do, when we work to the best of our God-given abilities, when, when we act in such a way that shows character, particularly when nobody is watching. And we can pursue good works with great humility because at some level we realize they're, they're not our good works. Um, suppose I, I gave you a $10 bill uh, and I gave you my car keys and I said, go down to Fuzzy's Tacos and buy some tacos for the homeless guy over there uh, on the corner. And, and you, you did, right? Uh, you didn't earn that $10 bill. I'm the one who gave you that $10 bill, and I even provided the car for you to complete this task. So, so you can't come back to me and you know, boastfully tell me how you took care of this homeless man because uh, it was a good work that was prepared for you to do, right? Everything was set out there for you. It doesn't change the fact that I'm pleased to see you go do this, to care for another human being in that way. That's pleasing. Um, but it wasn't all your doing or your doing. And, and then... Here's what happens when we walk in these good works that God has prepared beforehand. Let me just give you a few of them, then we'll close. Uh, first, God is glorified. Matthew 5.16 tells us, Let your lights shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. God is glorified. We are ambassadors of our Lord in this fallen world, and so let, us, let us properly reflect, reflect just how wonderful God is. Two, uh, walking in good works blesses us, and it helps us to, to live out the second uh, great commandment, to love our neighbors as ourselves. Uh, Acts 20, verse 35 tells us, In all things I have shown you, that by working hard in this way we must help the weak, and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than receive. Uh, number three, good works silence those who believe that Christianity is just a bunch of hypocrites, right? Um, there's a lot of people in the world that see that and believe that. First uh, Peter 2.12 tells us, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And then just a couple verses later, it continues saying, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. You know, when's the last time that, that you even were, were willing to answer the question? You know, let's say you do something kind for someone, and, and someone asks, you know, why did you do whatever that kind thing was? And, and you responded, you know, uh, because that's, that's an obedient response to the call of God in my life. Or, or maybe something like, uh, because my gracious Savior desires that I love people like that. Uh, that's what our, my, our God calls us to. You know, uh, things like that. Number four, in, in doing so, we exercise the freedom that we have received in Christ. We exercise the freedom. Uh, Galatians 5, 13 through 14 tells us, uh, You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love to serve one another. See, our freedom in Christ is not a license to sin. I know it's a phrase we hear, and sometimes we miss what it means. You know, you, um, do you know what it means that, to have a license to sin? Uh, 
I think it was last week, maybe the week before. Last time we had warm weather, we went out to the, the Rocky Ford fishing area and we were fishing and the game warden wandered up and was asking questions. And then eventually he asked, do you have a license? And I did. Four hours earlier, I did not. But I did have a license. I had bought it just that day and luckily because I'd never seen the game warden before. Uh, and, and what he meant, you know, what it meant that I had this license was that I was actually allowed to be fishing. It meant that I could fish without concern for any you know, problem that I was going to run into. I was allowed to do this. Now, when, when our sin is forgiven in Christ, it really is forgiven. But that's not the same thing as a license to sin. It doesn't give us permission to pursue sin just because we know it is now forgiven. See, sometimes people respond to the, the grace of, the God, of God as if they're at uh, an all-you-can-eat buffet uh, you know, they kind of think through their head, this is a sunk cost, the payment's been made, let's see how much sin we can do, all right? It's a terrible way to treat a buffet, it'll make you fat really quick, uh, and it's a terrible way to live through life that way, you know, to, to really respond to the gospel that way. Let me give you one more thing. Uh, in 1 Timothy 6.18, Paul gives a, uh, specific instructions to the rich. And, and don't zone me out, because that's all of us, every single one of us. In fact, the poorest person in this room today, and don't try to figure out if that's you, uh, but the poorest person in this room is still one of the wealthiest people on this planet today, and that's the absolute truth. And So don't imagine this is some verse for like Bill Gates-type people. It's for you and I. Uh, anyway, Paul's telling Timothy to tell the rich that uh, they are to do good works, uh, to be rich in good works, to be generous and, and ready to share. Okay, uh, so let me tell you that. Be rich in good works, generous and willing to share, ready to share rather. I mean, that's the, the call, the, the results of the, of the salvation that God has worked in our lives. And so uh, it's true, our salvation is not from good works, not even a bit, little bit, right? God's favor, his blessings do not come from good works in our lives, but good works are the wonderful fruit that God plans to produce in our new lives of faith. And, and these bring glory to God uh, who has loved us unconditionally. That's one of the beautiful things about, about the grace of, of God, that the grace of God does. It is absolutely indiscriminate. Um, that, that's why we're, we're sometimes wrongly surprised about who it is that comes to believe the gospel. There, it's an old story in, in England. I'll use American English to tell it to you, though. Um, in England, it, there was a, a Lutheran pastor who, who noticed while he was administering the Lord's Supper, they'd have a, a railing and everyone would kneel at the, the railing. And so um, at, the, at, at this point, there was a man who was recently out of jail on burglary charges, and he was kneeling next to a well-to-do judge, in fact, the very judge who had sentenced him to jail. And later that day, the, the judge asked the pastor, did you notice who was next to me at the Lord's Supper this morning? And, and the pastor said that he saw, and he added, what a miracle of grace. And the judge responded, indeed, but, but who do you mean? As you might expect, the, the pastor was speaking of the burglary, uh, but the judge says that he himself was the more surprising miracle because when the burglar was released from prison, he had nothing. He, he could you know, more easily see the, the hope and the joy to be found in Christ alone. The, the burglar uh, knew how much he needed, needed Christ. And, and the judge continued, but look at me. I was taught to be a gentleman. I, I earned degrees. I advanced to be a judge. I've, I've seen my hard work. 
I've seen my hard work even result in worldly success, and so it is by God's grace alone that he has opened my heart to receive and believe the gospel that I so desperately need despite worldly success. The truth is, in both instances, it's an absolute miracle of God's grace. The fact that you believe the gospel is an absolute miracle of God's grace. It's true for every one of us. Um, I, I love the fact that you can look out at the church, though, and, and, and you can see both, both children and doctors worshiping the same God, believing the same gospel. That you can see ex, ex-convicts and judges in the same congregation. That, uh, because God gives faith to both simpletons and, and to intellectual giants. That's, that's the gospel. It, it's you know, it's uh, been given to, to those who have made mostly wise life decisions and, and to those who have messy histories that are constantly dragging behind him. See, this is the gospel that God finds us in our sin and he redeems us. God works in our hearts and he changes us and, and that changes absolutely everything. You know, from that day forward, we are his and, and our lives are a testament to what we saw back in Ephesians 2.7, a testament to the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Let's pray.